Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this week, today? We are in a series that we continue. We're calling Created to Do Good. It's a study from the book of Ephesians. We're basing that on Ephesians chapter 2, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, created to do good. That's our theme for this year, and each month we highlight something that we want you to participate in opportunity for you to participate in. So we've been talking about, there's six chapters in Ephesians. There's three chapters that Paul's going to tell us who we are, and we've looked at those, and I'll do a quick review. And then there's three chapters of this is how we've been called to live. So just to do a quick review in chapter one, he uses all these words. You can just write those down from chapter one yourself. Just go to Ephesians chapter one. And he says, this is who we are. This is how God sees us. So all of those words, that's what we need to be telling ourselves, and that's what we need to be feeding ourselves. And then he prays. He prays at the end of chapter 1, says, I pray also that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So that word that's used there is dunamis. We get the word dynamite from that. So God's power, God's energy, God's strength. He gives to us, He infuses in us, He empowers us to live each day. So that's what um, He wants to tell us, that's who we are. He tells us who we are because God has a plan. And God's plan, God's intent, God's purpose was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I, I love the way He says that. It's not just us. It's not just the church. It's not just our community. It's areas that we can't even see, the heavenly realms. God has a plan so that all the heavenly realms are aware of this according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus. I love the way the message says this. Paul says, My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. So if you're thinking, well, God's not working. God doesn't ever do anything. God's doing things that we don't see. He's working all the time. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. And then we get to chapter 3 and he prays again. And he prays three times. I pray that he may strengthen you with power. I pray that you may have power. I pray that according to his power because he wants us to know the same power that God used to raise Jesus out of the grave. However you want to envision that, however you want to fathom that, however you want to grasp that, the same power that God used to raise Jesus, he gives to us and makes available to us to raise us from dead, unproductive lives. So, there's way, way, way more doctrine in the book of Ephesians, especially on the church, than any other letter, any other passage in the Bible. So, why is he praying for power? Why do we need power? Because now that we know who we are, we are empowered people, he can tell us how we need to live, and that's what he's going to do in chapters 4, 5, and 6. So, we started chapter 4 last week, and we noticed that he uses one word, chapters 4, 5, and 6, six times. If you go back to chapter 2, he uses this word eight times. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life. That's one word, peripateo. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. I want you to walk this way, conduct yourselves this way, behave this way. 
The word means to maintain a certain walk of life and conduct. The word is, it refers to the way believers behave or conduct themselves. So this is who you are. And this is how you ought, you ought to live. This is how you ought to conduct yourselves. This is what Christians have been called to do. And this is what we've been, how we've been called to live. So Paul wants us to know, and he continues to illustrate, that you, you used to walk this way. You used to live this way. But now as followers of Jesus, you walk, you live, you behave, you conduct yourselves this way. And that's what he tells us in 4, 5, and 6. Why are we called to live this way? Because through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, the plan of God's being made known. That's why we've been called to live this way. The way we live is either a demonstration of our own selfish desires or it's a demonstration of the power of God. And if we're called to live empowered lives, dynamite lives, dunamis lives, so that people can see the power of God in us, that's a witness that we need to be given to the, wor given the world. So being a Christ follower means we learn to, to walk a new way. We learn to live a new way. Why? Because God's called us and invited us and adopted us and redeemed us and forgiven us and purposed us. And our calling and our purpose and the way we live should demonstrate a new behavior. We should live differently than people in the world. We should. And you know, we've all heard, you know, people at church are hypocrites just like everybody else. That's right, we are. We are. Because we all are. We're all sinful people. But that doesn't negate the fact that we've been called to live a different way. I like the way Ray Stedman writes it. He said that it's important that Christians not be bickering, quarreling, and struggling against one another, filled with resentment and hate. A church that is like that is a totally ineffective body in its community. A church that has that kind of activity going on in its midst will have nothing to say to the world that the world will pay any attention to. So Paul says we need to live up to the blessings. All of those things in chapter 1, we need to live up to those blessings. So he's going to tell us, he's been telling us, sorry, how to live a worthy life. What does it look like? We started that in chapter 4, and he says, make every effort to keep the unity. So he says, I want you to live in unity. What does living in unity look like? Well, we're humble and gentle and patient, forgiving, loving. We keep the unity. We use our gift. We watch out for false teaching. We speak the truth in love. We grow up in Christ, and we're joined together in love. That's what unity looks like, and that's what we've been called to live. And then we noticed last week, he calls us to live a life of purity. Change your thinking. Don't indulge in impurity. Put off your old self. Put on your new self. Put off falsehood. Speak truthfully. Curb your anger. Stop stealing. Get a job. Do something useful with your hands. Learn to share. No unwholesome talk. Build others up. Don't grieve the spirit. Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, and malice, and be kind and compassionate and forgiving. And he, in, in this text, he uses his word again. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles live, don't live that way. We've been called to live a different way. So, don't live in the futility of your thinking. So, we're going to pick up in chapter 5 today. He's going to continue to challenge us how to live. And here's what he says in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God. Reflect God. Follow God. Let people see God in your lives, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. So he's challenging us again. So live in unity, live in purity, live in love, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. What does that look like? What does a life of love look like? 
Here's what he says. He says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. This is who you are. This is how you're called to live. So God's people shouldn't live this way, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. That one ought to hit us between the eyes. He's not messing around. He says God's people, God's holy people, are called to live a certain way, so don't do this. Don't live this way. He goes on. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be, don't be partners with that. We've been called to be partners with God, so don't be partners with sin. Don't be partners with dark, darkness. So, live in unity and live in purity and live in love. He keeps going. He says, I want you to live this way. You were once... Darkness, but now you're light in the Lord, so live as children of light. So, that same word, we looked at other passages a couple of weeks ago. That same word, here's how John says it. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk, live, behave, conduct ourselves in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, if we live in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from sin. So what does it look like? What does it mean to walk in the light? We'll go back to Ephesians, and here's what Paul says. The fruit of the light consists in this, in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Steer clear of the activities of darkness. Let your lives show by contrast how dreary and futile these things are. So that's what it means to live in the light. We're going to find out what pleases God, and we're going to steer clear of all those things that He just, not even a hint of, the things that are improper, do not be partners with. But He's got more to say. He says, I want you to live carefully. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. So you get, you hear what He's saying. I want you to live a certain way, and He's being specific in that. And he says, I want you to be very careful how you live. What does that look like? He tells us. Be very careful how you live. Live wisely, not like fools. Use every opportunity you have for doing good. Created to do good. That's our theme. We're looking for opportunities to do good. Don't be foolish with your lives, but learn what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, which will ruin your life, but be filled with the Spirit. The the, the Greek almost says, don't be drunk with wine, be drunk with the Spirit. If you're going to fill yourselves up, fill yourselves up with the Spirit of God. Encourage each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what it means to live carefully. So we've got one more that we're going to look at today. I know we're going kind of fast. We could spend a lot of time in Ephesians, but we're learning how to live. And he's going to tell us now, for the rest of chapter 5, and about 9 verses in chapter 6, that we need to live in harmony. In harmony. So he's going to talk about relationships. He's going to talk about husbands and wives. He's going to talk about parents and children. He's going to talk about masters and slaves, bosses, employers, employees. And he's going to tell us how to live in harmony. Paul wants to show us what walking in harmony looks like. So what does walking in harmony look like for husbands and wives? 
What does walking in harmony look like for parents and children? What does walking in harmony look like for employers and employees? And he says the solution to all conflict, the solution in any relationship, the solution to life in any relationship, the basic remedy is right here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I solve a lot of problems in the world. The problem as Christ followers is we nod our head and say absolutely we should do that and go out and not do that. Perhaps a better emphasis would be to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the motive. I should submit to you and you should submit to me and husbands and wives and parents and children and employers and employees because we're doing it out of reverence for Christ. So Paul is going to tell us and remind us that in every relationship, there's a third party. You've heard the phrase, there are two sides to every story. That may be true, but there's three parties involved. Husbands, wives, Christ. Parents, children, Christ. Employers, employees, Christ. We need to remember that in every relationship... There is a third party. And the greatest question we can ask is, in any relationship, in the midst of any conflict, what does Christ want me to do? How does Christ want me to respond? What does Christ, who is living in me, how does He want me to live? How does Christ want me to respond? Husbands, wives, parents, children, employers. How does Christ want me to respond? The world is waiting to see a demonstration of this verse. The world needs a demonstration of this verse. And Paul says Christians need to live a demonstration of this verse. The solution, he says, to life is not selfishness. The solution to life is submissiveness. And we live in an age where we don't want to be submissive. I'll come back to that. Relationships are a part of life. And Paul says that in every relationship, our first responsibility... My first responsibility is not to my wife. My first responsibility is to Jesus Christ. And if I'll be submissive to Jesus Christ, I can tell you right now, my marriage will be better. Relationships are better when we remember that Jesus is involved. So regardless of what the other person does, it's not about waiting to see what the other person does. It's not about waiting to see how the other person responds. It's not about waiting to see if the other person's going to be submissive. We are called to be submissive people. And that's how we need to respond. And that's why Paul reminds us in the next two chapters, in every relationship, I want you to notice the terminology. He reminds us that Jesus is present. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. As to the Lord. For the husband's ahead of the wife, as Christ is ahead of the church. Wives should submit to their husbands, as the church submits to Christ. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, employees, bosses, masters, obey with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor, but like slaves of Christ. Serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord. Masters, bosses, treat your slaves in the same way. You and your servants are under the same master in heaven. In every single relationship, he drives home the point, there are three people involved in every relationship, and we need to remember that we are submissive to Jesus Christ. Our submission to the other person, 
Whoever the other person is, husbands, wives, parents, children, employers, employees, our submission to the other person is a gauge, is a measure of the degree to which we're submissive to Christ. If we're not going to be submissive to one another, that just shows that we're not being submissive to Christ. So Paul says that in every relationship, our first responsibility is to obey Christ. Why? Because God, because Jesus is Lord of our lives, and Paul says, so live that way. Live a way that shows that we're being submissive to Jesus Christ. And when we're at odds with another person, doesn't matter who that person is, when we're at odds with another person, remember that Christ is always present. Because if we remember that Christ is always present, it will help us live that way. Which is why he said in Ephesians 4, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Because that's what God did through Jesus Christ. So we're remembering that there are three people involved. Our problem in America, our problem in churches, our problem as Christians is we want to focus on our rights instead of focusing on what Christ wants. And Paul says, no, 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 we're, we're going to focus on Jesus first. We demand our rights Regarding our freedoms, we demand our rights when we go to restaurants. We demand our rights in schools. We demand our rights as citizens. We demand our rights when it comes to church. Boy, do we demand our rights when it comes to church. And all you have to do is look at anything on social media in the last year. All you have to do on demanding rights is talk about masks. I don't have to wear a mask. Well, you should wear a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. Well, you should wear a mask. And it's mask, 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 mask. And we do what we want because we demand our rights. And Paul says, you got a little conflict going on? I wonder how Jesus would want us to respond. Oh. I mean, that's a mic drop right there. How would Jesus want you to respond? My sister sent me a deal yesterday. Like I said, just turn on social media and you find people this way constantly. And Paul's writing to the church. Paul's writing to us. Because we do this constantly. Mm. It's not about what we want. It's about what does Jesus want? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm always amazed that husbands will jump right past that verse and go to the very next verse. Wives ought to be submissive. I think it says we ought to submit to one another in every relationship. And yet when we demand our rights, it's like, well, why should I submit to you? Why should I submit to police? Why should I submit to schools? Why should I submit at restaurants? I'm going to demand my right, and, and by golly, I'm going to show up and let them know what my right is. Paul says, there's three people involved in any relationship. And that's how we ought to live. So he says, this is how you live in harmony, husbands and wives. This is how you live in harmony as a family. This is how you live in harmony at work. Obedience to anyone on this earth is simply an expression of our commitment to the Lord. It's a tough one. Like I said, this is a tough one. We'll nod our head and say, man, that Paul can preach. And we'll go out and... It's almost as if Paul is saying we should practice out-submitting each other. Well, why would I want to live that way? 
because it's out of reverence for Christ. We ought to practice out submitting each other. It's the willingness to yield to the good of others. It means to consider others better than ourselves. It means to serve and seek what's best for others, which God demonstrated, which God has demonstrated, which Paul is illustrating in Ephesians. Even in chapter 5, he says, you know, Jesus came and sacrificed. Jesus loved us, and He's a fragrant offering. And look at all the blessings God gives to us because He's, he's doing that in submission to us. God is in submission to us because he wants what's best for us that's what submission is you want what's best for the other person not i'm going to demand my rights richie i'm not sure that's scriptural Mm. in every relationship there are three people involved I read this this week, and I didn't, I didn't know if I liked it, but I think I like it. These teachings are not distinctly Christian. Even people in the world would acknowledge this is how people ought to act, and this is how people ought to be treated. There's nothing uniquely Christian about this. What makes these teachings uniquely Christian is it taps into the power of God, which is what he's been saying. How do I live this way? How do do I live this way? How can I submit to people? How can I be more submissive? And it goes back to, Now to Him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that's at work within us. Richie doesn't want to live this way. But we've been called to live this way. And the only way I can do it, and the only way you can do it is... God wants to infuse us with His power. God wants to enable us with His power. It's power from within, not pressure from without. That's how we live. We live from the power that is within. Paul writes in Philippians 2, Remember, it is God who is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Listen, listen, church, we need to live this way. All of those things that he said, unity and purity, carefully, love, light, harmony, we need to live this way. It'll make us a healthier church. It'll make our marriages healthy. It'll make our families healthy. It'll make society healthy if we just demonstrate that there's a power source for the world that they can have. That power source was demonstrated this morning at baptism. Tapped into a power source in baptism washed away, empowered by God to live. I can't live this way by myself, but I can live this way through the power of God, and that's how Paul says God has called us to live. Let's pray.